Hello and welcome to a special edition of the I Have So Many Questions podcast. I'm your host, Brian Watson. In honor of the one-year anniversary of this show, as of June 28th, I thought it would be fitting to uh, present the pilot episode for your approval and reconsideration. However, this time I've made some improvements. The, uh, the introduction music is much better. There's closing music attached to the show, and I have done the best that I can to improve the audio quality of the program or at least of this episode. So sit back, relax, and enjoy a special remastered edition of, for the first time, and probably not the last time, of the I Have So Many Questions podcast. Thank you, and enjoy. It's a podcast about kitchen sex. And I know what you're thinking. How much variety and conversation could you possibly have on that topic? Particularly without guests or experts or that type of thing. Well, you would be surprised. First thing I'll tell you is stay away from the stove. Don't go anywhere near the stove. The last thing you need is a second-degree burn to a part of your body that you don't want ever to have a second-degree burn with. The other risk is, of course, that you could inadvertently blow up your house. That is not what Cosmo meant by having an explosive orgasm. So, just stay away from the stove. In all actuality... I Have Questions is the most self-explanatory podcast title probably ever. I'm sure there are probably exceptions to that, and it may be a gross exaggeration, but for my purposes, it works. First up, let me just say that this is not a show, and probably not going to be a show in the future, intended for younger audiences, and by younger I mean those who have yet to hit puberty. Not to say that those type of episodes won't happen, but not likely. My view of the world, my sense of humor, uh, my sardonic nature, the fact that there are four C's, which we'll get to here later, that exemplify me those qualities don't really mesh with kids, with a kid audience. Let me put it this way. I have an 8-year-old and a 12-year-old, and I talk to them much in the same way that I talk to people I work with. That's not to say that the people I work with are 8-year-olds and 12-year-olds. It's just that how I speak to people at work is how I speak to my kids, which can be a blessing and it can be a curse. So in that regard... How I will talk to you will be much in the same manner. Plus, there may be topics and areas and tangents and di digressions and diversions and all kinds of things that can happen when you've got an undiagnosed, unregulated, unmedicated ADHD brain going. Especially when that brain has yet to figure out how to do any editing for these podcasts. I'm in the process of learning. This is the pilot episode. But 
with that, there is the inadvertent issue that can come up. So, fair warning, not for the kids, at least if your kids haven't started growing hair in funny places and thinking about girls and boys or in all points in between. Okay, so with that, what is this show about? And that's perfectly the first question that this show will address. What is I have questions about? To provide, you know, some background on this, I am what you would call a podcast junkie. I listen to podcasts on my way to work. I listen to podcasts on my way home. I listen to podcasts while I'm doing the dishes, while I'm doing the laundry, while I'm mowing the yard, while I'm doing all kinds of chores. I'm listening to podcasts while I'm surfing the internet. I'm listening to podcasts when I'm going to bed at night. I listen to the same podcast over and over and over again. It's an audio drama. I've listened to it a million times, and I listen to it practically every night when I go to bed. For some reason, it works. The nice thing about listening to the same one over and over and over again is that if you're listening to a new episode of something and you fall asleep 10 minutes into it, you don't, you know, you're, you wake up the next day and you're like, oh man, I gotta, I missed the whole thing. I gotta start over. When it's something, when it's the same thing over and over and over again, you don't have that concern, especially when it's an audio drama, which is basically a work of fiction. So that helps. But I'm addicted to podcasts. Have been for years. I probably have on the order of somewhere between 30 and 40 different podcasts on my iPhone at this moment. And those get, some get put in, some get taken out. Some, I'm like, eh, I'll get to this down the line. And then I never get to it. Some of them are limited to series. You know, there's one, there's a podcast that I just finished a few weeks ago called LBJ's War. It's about Lyndon Johnson in Vietnam. You know, a limited series type of thing. You can only go so far with that. And not like you can do season two and three and four and stuff. That said, I knew I didn't know nearly enough about Lyndon Johnson in regards to Vietnam. Very eye-opening, especially given all the phone recordings, all the recordings that he had of phone conversations that he made. Kennedy, Johnson, Nixon all had recording systems. Kennedy and Johnson recorded phone calls. Nixon recorded everybody. He probably had microphones in the bathrooms in the White House. That's how paranoid Nixon was. But it was very revealing. Anyway, my first diversion. I'm addicted to podcasts. And the more and more I listen to them, and the more and more I have friends who are, some of them do all kinds of media production. Some of them are into IT. They're, you know, they're tech geniuses, that type of thing. And the more and more I've, and you know, there are some podcasts I listen to that are, they're not done by professionals. They're not done through media companies and that type of thing. It's, it's some guy in his house who set up all this equipment, who has the knowledge in the background and, you know, wanted to talk about a particular thing. And that's what he did. And he created an entire network out of it um, where he could have other shows and it started branching out. Now it's doing live streaming on YouTube and that type of thing. By the way, the, the podcast is called We Are Libertarians. It, it's hosted by Chris Spangle. Highly recommended, especially if you're libertarian-minded, particularly given the fact that it's based out of my home state of Indiana. So you get a lot of local, local issues. Not so much local issues, but you get lo a local perspective about libertarianism. Seeing all this stuff, listening to tons and tons of podcasts, and I'm like, you know what? I should do this. 
I think I can do this. I think I can. There's a girl I work with. She does a podcast. It's an entertainment podcast. You know, she told me, I found out that she was doing one. She kind of shamelessly advertised herself at work about her about her show. I asked her a couple of questions. She told me how she did it. And I'm like, I think I could do that. I think I, of all people, could probably do that with a fair amount of competency. So then it started, okay, you know, then you get into the whole issue of, well, what's the show going to be about? I mean, who's going to be on it? What's it going to be about? You know, what is it going to cover? How long is it going to be? How often am I going to do it? You know, all that kind of stuff. And it kind of, it kind of became an idea of, okay, it's just going to be about me. Full of my full egomaniacal, monomaniacal, raging egomaniac self is thinking, I'm just going to, you know, I'll just make the show about me. It'll be, talk about whatever I want. I can do that. I talk about whatever I want all day long anyway. I am not shy about sharing my opinion, even though I am in a raging introvert. If I'm around you and I know you, you're going to hear my opinion. And a fair amount of snark and sarcasm and just general smartassery, if that is the word. So, it kind of comes down to... Okay, that's what it's going to be about. I'll talk about whatever I want, or I'll talk about a million things in the span of half an hour or whatever. It'd be like, kind of kind of like Dennis Miller back, if you know who Dennis Miller is, he had this penchant of going on rants. He wrote books about rants. He had a show on HBO that he kind of had a monologue at the end of the show that he called, not, that he prefaced with, now I don't want to go on a rant, but I'm kind of like, okay, well I can do that. I go on rants all the time how I'm still married because of my rants, I don't know. Because, you know, one, the rants are never about, I never rant about my wife, to my wife, about stuff at home. I don't rant about that stuff. I rant about inane, innocuous shit that nobody cares about. Second warning, there may be a little bit of language from time to time. Try not to be too bad about it, but, yeah, I like to swear. I like to swear a lot. The F word is possibly my favorite word of all time, if not in the top three. How my wife hasn't left me just because of my inane, innocuous, meaningless, pointless rants, I don't know. Might explain why she works all the time. But again, another diversion. I'll just make this, this will just be my own, my own little quiet vanity project. That's what it'll be. So, and that's what I was going to call it, is my vanity project. And I'm like, okay, well, yeah, I could do that. But without any form, without any structure, you know, pure id Brian is just not a good idea. There has to be some discipline here. Uh, so then it becomes a question of, okay, well, if the show's going to be about something, what is it going to be about? I'm a, I'm a politics junkie. I could probably do that, but there are a million politics podcasts. And honestly, nobody wants to hear me talk about Trump all, all day long, including me. I'm... I keep up, I pay attention, I probably know way more about the, the Mango Mussolini, the President Oompa Loompa, insert your orange-related moniker for hair president here. I could do that, but it'd get old. It'd get old to me. After about two or three episodes, I'd be like, okay, I've got to talk about something else, or I've got to pull the plug. So then I was like, okay not going to do politics besides there's only there's a there's an audience for that but usually it's that audience wants there's 
a whole lot of confirmation bias that it goes along with that and a whole lot of cognitive dissonance as well. So, you know, being, you know, one of the one of the four C's kind of doesn't fly with that. So, what to do? So, I decide, okay, I'm thinking about it. I didn't decide anything. I'm thinking. Okay, what could I do where I could cover a wide variety of topics, things that interest me, because I'm interested in a lot of things, and there are a lot of things I'm interested in that I've just not explored in any great detail that this show could kind of force me to look into more, broaden my horizons, expand my universe, if you will. And I had I had to talk to some folks, and I put it out there on my Facebook page, my personal Facebook page. Hey, I'm thinking about doing a podcast. What do you think I should do it about? And I got some feedback. I had some folks that basically said, just whatever you want to do, because evidently they wanted to hear what a podcast hosted by me would be like, which I was the same way. And I'm like, you know what? The world would be a much better place with more of me in it. And since we haven't done cloning yet to where that can be possible, you know, we'll just record my voice and figure out a way to make it presentable and editable and all that kind of stuff. I had one person... And this guy is super smart, and he's like, you should do a podcast about philosophy, politics, and religion. And I'm like, the amount of research, he'd actually said, he'd actually recommended something very much more specific, and I need to talk to him about it because it would be the type of thing that I couldn't do by myself. I would need, I would probably bring him on to do it, to work with me on it, and I haven't figured out how to do interviews and have guest hosts and guests on the show and that type of thing yet. Again, this is the pilot episode. You know, this is going to be a, you know, work in progress type of thing. But it so intrigued me. His his suggestions so intrigued me. And I was like, man, that's it just it blew my mind. It really did. It was just it was seemed it was I was intrigued and yet it seemed so daunting at the same time. But I was getting suggestions. And then the more and more I thought about it, it's kind of like, what do I do day in and day out? What do I do? How do I learn things? And it kind of came down to, you know, kind of happenstance. I was like, okay, I was thinking about something and I'm like, well, what if, what if this? Wonder, I wonder what happens if that, wonder what would happen if you would do to do this? And then it hit me. Questions. I ask questions. I have to, it's part of my job. I have to ask questions. People come to me seeking assistance, whether it's my kids, whether it's people I work with. Once in a blue moon, somebody will come to me asking for advice, which I don't generally give. Because from my experience, most of the, my experience is people don't, they don't take your advice. They don't listen to your advice. They're not wanting advice. They're wanting, they're wanting validation or absolution or confirmation of something that, of, uh, you know, um, something they'd already intended to do. Something they already had in mind. And that's what a lot of people do at work is, you know, they'll come to me and I'll say, well, I'm thinking about this, this, and this, you know, and this is the information I've got. And, you know, this is what I'm thinking about I should do. And then I will ask follow-up questions. Well, what about this? What about this? When did that happen? Did you think about this? Or, you know, and it's a, it's a, it's doing two things. One, it's helping me come up with an answer. Two, it's helping them come up with an answer. And it's helping both of us think about things in a different way. All of that comes from asking questions, from me asking questions. And I was like, well, that's it. That's what I do. That's what I'm interested in, questions. And the more and more I thought about it, 
the more I realize that there's a reason I ask questions. And it's also the reason why I don't engage in debates or arguments, really. Or at least I try not to. Um, if I do, I do it in a very particular way. And that particular way is I'm not going to give you a counter-argument. I'm going to answer, I'm going to ask questions and uh, to address your argument. You know, it's kind of a jujitsu type of thing or a judo type of thing where I'm not going to push back against you. I'm going to use your own momentum and your own strength against you. I'm going to take it and I'm going to turn it on its head and use it against you. And that's kind of how I argue, you know, dare I say to a point logical, but that's how I engage people. I'm get on Facebook all the time and I, you know, I'll share stories and my, you know, my newsfeed and I'll share articles and it's from a particular point of view and I'm not, I don't really, sometimes I'll add some commentary to it. Sometimes I'll just put it out there um, to put it out there. And sometimes I'll get some feedback from people that agree with me and from people that disagree with me, usually, especially if it's about Trump. And we'll talk about me here later and we'll get into that a little bit more. But I'll make an argument, you know, I'll, or I'll point out some things, and I may make an observation or two, and I may, you know, even provide my own personal opinion, you know, in a visceral sense. But what I try not to do is react. Reactions can be, reactions are impulsive, they're arbitrary, they're, they're almost, they're id. Reactions are fight or flight responses in a lot of ways. They can be, they can do more harm than good. Most of the time they do more harm than good. Um, your fight-or-flight impulses usually are not well-tuned to the situation that you're in most of the time. When that occurs, when you have that impulse, it's best to probably not follow it. Kind of control it, resist it, ignore it, whatever. Because um, you're ultimately going to probably do more harm than good if you go down that road. So, But how I try to engage people is ask questions. Well, you know, such and such and such and such and, you know, you, all this and that. And I'm like, okay, well, what about this? What about this? If you, okay, if we do what you're, well, what you think we should do, how do you address this? Well, we should, immigrants, we shouldn't let them into the country. We should immediately deport them and all this kind of stuff. Okay. But the law says you can't. The law says you have to give them due process. So are you saying that the President of the United States, whose job it is to enforce the laws, now granted he does have a wide leeway in some respects as to how those laws get enforced, and it's also fair to say that President, as the thousands of laws that we have um, on the books, a lot of which don't you know, necessarily reconcile with each other, it's impossible for the President to enforce all of them. You, know, you couldn't create a bureaucracy big enough. So, but I'll push back, and how I push back is I ask questions, okay? I'm not going to give you my argument, or if I am going to give you my argument or my point of view, I'm going to do it in the, I'm going to do it, it's going to be a Jeopardy round. I'm going to do it in the form of a question. Uh, my answer will be in the form of a question. So, questions. And the nice thing about questions is, is that when you stop and think about it, the answer, a lot of times, isn't all that important. The question is, because you're thinking about, the question reveals a lot more about what you're thinking and where you're at than the answer does. You ask somebody to, you ask, somebody asks you, you know, or you, or somebody asks the question two plus two equals four, you know, there's an, or two, yeah, that made perfect sense. 
If somebody asks what 2 plus 2 equals, the obvious answer is 4. Okay, well, that's not the interesting part. The interesting part is how you got to the answer. But with, so there's the question and there's the answer. But that's not, the answer is not the interesting part. The interesting part is probably how you got to the answer. Questions are usually, a lot of times, more interesting or more revealing than the answers are. You know, there's open-ended questions, there's closed-ended questions, there's yes or no questions, multiple choice questions, the all-dreaded essay question, questions that are easy to answer, questions that are hard to answer, questions that have no answer at all. The fact that there is no answer, though, doesn't invalidate the question itself. Is there a God? Question that can't be answered, or at least it can't be answered yet. What was there before the universe? Again, question that can't be answered, at least not yet. And, you know, it's the question that usually things start with the question. Newton's sitting under the apple tree, the apple falls and hits him in the head, and he's like, how did that happen? What caused that to happen? Why did the apple fall? Come to think of it, why am I able to stand on the ground? Why can't I fly like a bird? Those type of things. He asks a question, and he begins to look for answers. And then there are some questions that, you know, they're, you know, the answer is not important. It's just fun to ask the question. I do this a lot, especially with pop culture stuff, movies, that type of thing. One that continues that I keep coming back to all the time is, and this is going to be super geeky, but Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope, the first Star Wars movie. They're on the Death Star. Obi-Wan Kenobi's fighting Darth Vader. Luke and Han and Leia are running, th are running across the hangar bay to get into the Millennium Falcon. Luke sees Obi-Wan and Vader fighting, and he stops to watch. Ben and Vader are fighting. It's a pretty boring fight because Alec Guinness is really old. David Prowse, who's the actor in the Vader suit, is not moving around real great. And they probably couldn't afford to fight a coordinator for that movie. Okay, do we spend a little bit of money on it? Okay, do we spend a little money on a fight coordinator or do we save that money and use it for the really cool special effects that we're trying to do? You know, scratch the fight coordinator. Anyway, Luke and Vader are fighting. Or, not Luke and Vader. Obi-Wan and Vader are fighting. Luke is watching. Obi-Wan stops, looks over, sees that Luke's standing there, looks at Vader, and smiles. What the hell was this smile about? He smiles at Vader... He raises up his sword to yield, and Vader strikes him down. What is that smile about? Now you have to now you have to take this into account in the context of what we learn about Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker later. Is it because Obi Wan Kenobi knows that Darth Vader is Luke's father? Is it because Obi Wan Kenobi wants Luke to kill Darth Vader at some point, and the best way to motivate Luke to do that would be to let Darth Vader kill him? Is it because is it because he knows that by it is because Luke's standing right next to the Millennium Falcon and they're getting ready to get away and he's taking care of the tractor beam and he knows all Luke's got to do is get on that ship and be gone. So he lets Vader strike him down so that, that Vader and the stormtroopers are distracted so he can get away. What the hell is the smile about? Is it because he knows he can't, he's not going to get, get away himself? So, you know, he's old, he's been around, he's accomplished his mission, which is to get Luke Skywalker into the fight, to become, you know, to be the Save the Jedi Order or whatever, so he lets Vader strike him down. What the hell is the smile about? Is there, is there an answer to that? Probably not. Is there a right answer? You could ask George Lucas, but George Lucas has changed his story so many times about those movies, 
Well, I had the plan from the whole, from the beginning that Darth Vader was going to be Luke's father and that Luke and Leia were going to be twins. Okay. No. If that's the case, you're a little pervy there, jo George, because of the kiss at the beginning of Empire. But I digress. Another diversion. But I think about a lot of questions that the answer is not really important. It's the fact that, you know, you're thinking about the question and you start running through the variables, the, possi the possibilities. There are always possibilities. So think going through the possibilities helps you think. I mean, there's an entire genre of literature, alternate history. What would happen if, what would happen if Lee had won at Gettysburg? Or what if, I don't know, what if Hitler had, what if Hitler had developed an atomic bomb? Or what if the Japanese hadn't bombed Pearl Harbor? What would, how would World War II have turned out? What if the Nazis had won World War II? There's a TV show, I think, The Man in the High Castle on Amazon, I think, is entirely about that. Um, there's another, there's a book I read not too long ago. It's really old. It's an old book. It's like 30 years old called Fatherland. It was a murder mystery. Um, I think set in the 60s where the Nazis controlled Europe. They had won World War II, but it was a murder mystery. You know, that type of thing. Alternate history, all that kind of stuff. Just ask the question of what if. The answer is not important. I mean, you can try to be, you know, you can try to be as rational and logical as all that kind of stuff. Is you know, what if, what if aliens, what if Buckaroo Banzai across the eighth dimension? What if the Orson Welles War of the Worlds broadcast wasn't actually a radio play, but an actual news broadcast? You know, that type of thing. By the way, Buckaroo Banzai across the eighth dimension, an outstanding movie of pure. 80s zeitgeist. If there's a movie, if there's a movie to be rebooted, it's Buckaroo Banzai. There are rhetorical questions. There's all, just all kinds of questions. And the, and the beauty of it is, is that, and that's what's going to happen with this podcast, is there will be questions that'll get asked. They'll get asked in the moment. I'll be talking on here and a question will pop into my head and I'll just put it out there. Maybe it gets, becomes a topic for another episode. Maybe it never comes up again. When the show's over and I'm like, yeah, hey, that was an interesting question for about five seconds. And then it just, you know, no longer interests me. But somebody who's listening to the show in a week or a month or a year or 10 years from now, depending on how long, you know, this type of, or how long the show endures on the internet. Because as we all know, once it's on the internet, it never goes away. So I'm, again, feeding my vanity here. Raging egomaniac. Oh, I put a podcast out there. Even if I only do one, it's still out there forever. That is so cool. But that's the nice thing about questions is, you know, okay, I may not answer that question. I may not try to find the answer to that question. Or it may not, e that question may not even appeal to me longer, you know, than it took me to say it. But somebody else might. And it may lead them to, may need to lead them to start the robot apocalypse for all I know. I give somebody the, you know, I ask a question and all of a sudden somebody's figured out a way to build Skynet. And it'll probably be my daughter. That's, an or that's a story for another time. That's what the show's about. Questions. Not, just, not necessarily answering questions, although we will try to do that to a point. But really to explore the question as best as, as, best as I can, given the limited amount of time, intellect, and resources that I have at my disposal. My hope is that as this show matures, and as I become more proficient at the technical aspects of doing a podcast that I'll be able to have guests on, you know, maybe even take on a co-host, that type of thing, to where I don't have to share the burden, or don't have to share the burden, 
where I can share the burden of the show. And we can go into something a little more in-depth or something meatier or complex. Because there are a lot of complex questions out there. My point of view or my summation of research may not be adequate to address the question, to explore the question. And there are some questions that are entirely subjective. You know, there are people who love reality television, and I just don't get it. Not at all. I just don't get it. Um, it drives me insane. It's condescending. It's, ins- you know, not necessarily insulting, but it's condescending, and it, it, it's kind of, it's exploitative. It's, it's just, it's just dumb. But there are tons of people who love reality television. Otherwise, there wouldn't be an audience for it. Um, and they love all kinds of reality television, whether it's you know following people around in supposedly real life when there's a th- when they're actually heavily scripted or made up scenarios, or it's musical talent shows or musical competition shows. I mean, between The Voice and American Idol and The Four and America's Got Talent, and I'm sure there are others that I'm just forgetting. And truth be told, there are a couple that I actually enjoy. Um, my kids and I are addicted to BattleBots. That's kind of a reality show. Not really, but it's kind of a reality show. My kids love American Ninja Warrior. It's a sports competition show. It's probably reality television, especially given the amount of inane backstory backstory vignettes that they do. Like, NBC, you know, it's on NBC, and NBC just loves that crap. It's the worst part of the Olympics is, oh, no, we you can't just watch the competition. We have to give you the poignant backstory even if it's not really all that poignant. So-and-so is an, a track runner whose third cousin, twice removed from a previous marriage, had a hangnail, and they had to be in the hospital for 24 hours because they had to remove the entire pinky toe. Don't need to know that. Just show me the track and field, all right? If I want to learn about somebody, if you want to make a little, you know, you want to throw in a little blurb in the middle of the broadcast, say t- 10 seconds before they're about to run, Great. I have Google. I can look these things up. I can learn more about this person. I don't need a three-minute vignette on whatever contrived adversity that this person's overcome, especially if they're American. Nobody cares about the guy from Iceland who probably had his entire family wiped out by, I don't know, some horrible disease. Nobody cares about that. But, you know, you get an American with a hangnail, all of a sudden, we got three minutes of good quality television. But... I don't get reality TV. A whole bunch of other people do. Entirely subjective. It's a taste thing. So questions, there, you know, we're going to explore a variety of questions. We may explore a variety of questions in the span of one episode. And then there may be one question that takes multiple episodes. I'm, and there may be one that question that we takes multiple episodes that we don't do in a row. Or we, as if there's other people here, that I don't do in a row. I don't have the budget for we. <laughs> anyway, one one question that I'm really, really interested in, and it's it's kind of it's a it's a question for our time, and it's probably a question for previous times, and it's going to be a question for a future time, but it's to me it's a it's a very broad question, um, and it has a lot of layers to it, and the, I know that I'm I can do an episode on it, but to really probably really explore that question in a variety of different ways, 
it's probably going to require multiple episodes, and it's not they're not going to be it's not going to be something that I'm going to be able to cover one after one right after right after another right after another. It's probably not going to happen. It's going to take time because it's such a complex question. It's simple in its verbiage, but complex in its nature. And it is what is identity? Seems like a simple question, but if you think about it for a minute, you're like, wow. There's so many different permutations of that word. There's there's personal, there's political, there's socioeconomic, there's sexual, there's there's gender, there's ethnicity, there's race, there's there's dare I say species identity. There are so many variations on identity, and they're not all mutually exclusive. Actually, I'd say none of them are mutually exclusive, except for maybe the species one. What is identity? When you get into asking what is identity, you kind of have to also get to how do you define identity, which is an equally complex question. But that's something I'm really looking forward to trying to explore is that one. And there will be a bunch of other ones. One I'm really, there's some geeky questions. Um, I started compiling a list and I even did some internet searching, kind of like for show topics, just questions. And there are some that I thought of myself. Unfortunately, there are some that I've thought of at 10 o'clock at night as I'm trying to get my daughter to fall asleep, and 10 minutes after I thought of the question, I've forgotten it, and it's and they've never come back. And I know in that 10 minutes, those were really good questions that I thought of, or questions that I thought of at work when I'm at lunch or I'm walking around or whatever, and by the time I sit back down to maybe write it down, it's gone. Or somebody comes and asks me a question, and I get sidetracked, and that question is just gone. And it never comes back. There will be a, you know, there will be a lot of that. But that's what the show is about. It's about exploring questions. I'm not saying that I'm going to be able my, and it's going to be these are going to be explorations from my point of view. I'm not an authority. I'm not authoritative. I might be a bit of an authoritarian, but that's only where we're talking about my authority. I should have dominion over all others, basically. You know, it's exploring. Like I said, it's exploring this from my perspective to a point and just asking questions about about stuff and exploring those questions and seeing where that goes that's the first question of our inaugural episode the second question obviously is who am i who is your host who is your personal willy wonka for this trip through the chocolate factory i am well my name is brian watson i live in indiana i have my entire life i am in my early 40s, I am a white, heterosexual male. A lot, you know, there's going to be a lot of things that are, there's a lot of stuff that's going to go through that prism, let me tell you. I, I'm left-handed. I'm also an atheist, which means I'm one of the least respected minorities on the planet currently. Depending on where you live on this planet, if you think the way I think, that's grounds to have you killed. So um, I've been married. I'm married. I've been married for going on two decades. Um, I've been with my wife for 20 years. We just celebrated our 20th relationship anniversary, um, if you want to call it that. By the way, I totally remembered that, and she totally did not. It wasn't until the day of when I said, "You know, this is a very important day, right?" And then she did the math very quickly because she's very smart, but also because I think she kind of realized at some point in the course of that day. That that's that what what had happened that day. It was the day that my uncle's twentieth wedding anniversary. Was, I met her on the day of his wedding. I was the designated driver for that wedding, 
so I'm, I'm, my wife has been my wife and I have been together for 20 years. We've been married for almost that long. We have two wonderful kids, a boy and a girl. They are they are like me in so many ways and yet different. I keep saying my son, who's 12, he's the way I was when I was his age. And my daughter, who's eight, she's the way I am now, which makes her way way scarier. The other day, she told me that she basically basically assumed responsibility for the coming robot apocalypse. It'll be because of her. She's going to wipe out the human race, except for a handful of people. Fortunately, I'm on the short list. Her brother, on the other hand, he might want to start building that bunker and stocking it up because he's going to need it, evidently. She's going to be the cause of the robot apocalypse. Probably when the time comes, when she's when I think she's old enough, we're probably going to skip the Terminator movies because I don't want to give her any ideas. And definitely don't want her reading the book Robot Apocalypse. Or Robo Apocalypse, excuse me. Which is a great book, by the way. I think they're making it into a movie, which I'm really looking forward to. That's a little bit about me. My point of view on stuff is there are four C's to describe me. I'm a cynic. I'm a curmudgeon. And my, my you know, the one that most aptly describes me, I'm a contrarian. There's a fourth C, but... You can't say it in polite company, and you probably shouldn't say it on a podcast unless you're, like, British. For some reason, British people can get away, can get away with that fourth C. Ricky Gervais is a big fan of the fourth C. So those four Cs describe me, to almost to a T. I'm a cynic, a curmudgeon, and oddly, I've become more of a curmudgeon as I've gotten older. That's probably not a coincidence. And I'm a contrarian, which makes life interesting. I'm sitting here, and I'm talking, and I'm like... I keep saying I'm all the time. I keep saying I'm all the time. I'm using filler. Ugh. I can't stand that. Verbal tics, filler, that type of stuff. Cannot stand it. And yet here I am doing it. So, four C's that describe me. And I, I'm an introvert. Um, you, put me in a, you put me in a room full of complete strangers, and it's a wonder I don't have a panic attack. Uh, I shut down. I, I will engage you if asked, but I will do the bare minimum. It's like being in a deposition. You only give yes or no answers to everything. You don't elaborate. You don't, you don't embellish. You don't add on. You just answer the question that's been put before you, and then you shut up. That's how I exist in an environment that I'm not comfortable in. And it can be amusing, unless you're me. That's kind of where I come from. I'm a, politically speaking, I'm a disavowed Republican. Uh, I was a Republican probably until the late 90s, uh, then the whole religious right, evangelical stuff just got out of hand, and I had to cry. I had to call no joy. I just did. I just said, you know what? I can't do this anymore. I, I can't be in a... I can't be... You know, and then there, there are other reasons as well. I can't be in the same party with Newt Gingrich. I just can't. Fat, arrogant bastard who has absolutely no reason... To be so freaking arrogant. It's, he's like one of those people that thinks, you know, he's one of those people that thinks he's way smarter than he actually is, which makes him super annoying. But I couldn't be a part of that. And I can't, I can't be a Democrat. I'm a small L liber libertarian for the most part. I'm a big believer in civil rights. I'm a bleak believer in civil liberties, the Bill of Rights, that type of thing. No, that's not, that doesn't make me an absolutist. There are, I appreciate the, the complexity of the First Amendment can't, there's anybody that says, whoa, you know, strict construction of what the Constitution says. The Founding Fathers 
there is no way the Founding Fathers could have anticipated every possible scenario or situation that could come up that could apply to the First Amendment. And they designed it, they designed the amendments entirely for that reason. That's why there's a judiciary. It's because they knew there were going to be things that were going to come up that weren't going to perfectly fit, and most of the most of the things don't perfectly fit within the confines of the verbiage of the First Amendment or the Second Amendment. They're not to be taken literally. I'm of the view that, you know, yeah, there are exceptions. You know, there are things, you know, there are limitations to a point. But those limitations should be very, very narrow and very, very limited, if that makes sense. Yeah, limited, limited, limited limitations. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. But I understand that there are very complex situations. The Constitution doesn't perfectly apply. And in that circumstance, when that circumstance comes up, my default is the broadest amount of benefit to the broadest amount of people without affecting the rights of the minority. I had a social studies teacher in high school that said, we operate under a system of majority rule with minority rights. We're a, Democrat, we're a democratic republic, but we have individual rights for individual people, regardless of who those people are. Whether you're gay, you're black, you're white, you're straight, you're Christian, you're atheist, you're Muslim, you're answer E, all of the above. doesn't matter. So that's where I come from politically. That said, I'm a politics junkie. I have been my entire life. I'm probably, I can remember in 1992 watching presidential debates between Clinton, Perot, and H.W. Bush and just finding them totally entertaining, mostly because of Ross Perot. He was like a southern mayor of Munchkinland type of thing. Well, I can remember voting, I can remember voting in 1994, my first election, first federal election after I turned 18. A lot of good that did. It was an it was a midterm election. The Republicans swept. Um, the highlight of that the highlight of that election I remember was Oliver North losing the Senate race in Virginia, and being totally totally happy about that. I was ecstatic about that when I heard it on the radio because Oliver North, Oliver North is scum. Right, he's swine. Oliver North has no respect for the rule of law, and if he ever says that he has the respect for the rule of law, he's lying. Because Oliver North, when he was on the National Security Council, did everything humanly possible to skirt, subvert, and flat-out break the law, multiple laws. Um, Oliver North is one of those people that thinks it's perfectly okay to lie to Congress if it's for a good reason. And there should be no consequences to lying to Congress about that. When he runs for Senate in 1994, which is less than 10 years after the whole Iran-Contra thing, and I can remember my dad uh, watching the uh, the Iran-Contra hearings on television. It was one of the few times when he wasn't at work, and I think it was during the summer because I was home during the day, and he watched it. And I watched it a little bit with him, but it was kind of boring. Congressional hearings were boring. Oliver North, ten years within 10 years of the Iran-Contra thing, he runs for the Senate in Virginia against a, an adulterer named Chuck Robb. There's a documentary about that about that Senate race. Uh, the guys working for North were delightful human beings. His campaign staff was just, they were just a bunch of vulgar, chain-smoking idiots, but very entertaining for documentary purposes. Anyway, Oliver North runs against Chuck Robb. It's a very, it's a highly publicized race because of Oliver North and his history. He's a convicted felon for, a, for his testimony in Iran-Contra, and then the, you know, his conviction gets overturned on a technicality, which isn't an exoneration for what he did. He still did all that crap. He runs for Senate. He loses. He's the one of the few, he's one of the few Republicans in that 
election that actually lost. But I was I can remember hearing that and being super, super happy about it. Just ecstatic. And that's kind of where I come from politically. Ninety six I voted for in ninety six my first presidential election I voted none of the above. In two thousand I voted for George W. Bush because I could not stand Al Gore. He's a sanctimonious just he's sanctimonious, okay? You want to talk about somebody said I should who just who oozed I'm not said, but he oozed. He oozed I should be president because I want it. There was no good reason to make Al Gore president. The only reason Al Gore was running was running for president was because he wanted to be president. Never, not really a good thing. If you want to accomplish something, if you want to go there and you want to make a difference and you want to do some good, you know, think Carter in seventy six, think Reagan in eighty, maybe maybe Clinton in ninety two, maybe, but it was way more about him just wanting to be president. Think Obama in two thousand and eight. Then you got others who ran for who ran for president because they wanted to be president. H. W. Bush just wanted to be president. He had no reason to run in 88. He just did it because he wanted to. Clinton, he had his Kennedy fetish. W ran in 2000 because he wanted, I think he wanted to show up the old man a little bit. And I think he was, you know, I think he was trying to prove something. And then Trump, obviously Trump, now granted, I don't think Trump had any expectation of ever becoming president. I think Trump's campaign was entirely a marketing gimmick. And then he won and he's like, oh shit, I'm president. I gotta do stuff. Trump ran for two reasons. One, he did it because he could, and two, he really wanted to put the screws to Obama, especially after that 2011 White House Correspondents' Dinner. There's a whole documentary about that on Frontline, I believe. And then 2008, I, 2000, I voted for W because I couldn't stand Al Gore. In 2004, I voted Libertarian for the first time because W lied to get us into the Iraq War. He was showing himself very incompetent in running the Iraq War, particularly those two, uh, you know, twin idiots, Dick Cheney and Donald Rumsfeld. And then John Kerry was just, oh, he wanted, John Kerry is like the ultimate wet noodle. Just absolutely without any form at all. I don't want to call him spineless because insulting to jellyfish, but John Kerry was just awful. And if you're, and if you're Howard Dean, you know, in 2004, you're like, I lost the nomination to this guy. Voted Libertarian in 04. 2008, though, loved me some Barack Obama. Loved his message. Loved the man. Loved everything about him. Loved him again in 2012, against, especially against the backdrop of the utterly clueless, ass-kissing, tell-you-anything-that-you-wanted-to-hear-in-the-moment-to-get-myself-elected Mitt Romney, who eventually grew a spine against Trump and then kind of walked that back when he wanted to be Secretary of State and then walked it back again when he wanted to, as he's running for the Senate in Utah. So that's how I voted presidentially. 2016, between Trump and Hillary, I voted Libertarian again uh, because Gary, one, Gary Johnson was a stoner and I think we're, I think we're due for a stone. I'd have been perfectly happy if Obama decided to resume smoking weed while in the White House, but Gary Johnson was a stoner. Donald Trump is Donald Trump. Donald Trump is arguably one of the most wretched human beings, just personally, on the planet. Has he done anything that's been truly horrible? No. But he's a wretched human being. He was raised and educated and um, mentored by wretched human beings. His father was a scumbag. He was, you know, his mentor is Roy Cohen. Look up Roy Cohen. You want to talk about a scum, you want to talk about a wretched human being, 
he might be the template for wretched human beings. As far as wretched human beings that didn't like kill millions of people or engage in genocide, if you will, consequence-free wretched human beings, if there is such a thing. Roy Cohen was one of those. And he rubbed off big time on Donald Trump. You will not hear me say, probably not hear me say a positive word about Trump in the course of this podcast. Then you've got Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton is Nixon in a pantsuit. I've always called her that. Hillary Clinton operates in a, operated from a political style, an archaic, outdated political style um, that is highly paranoid, very distrusting, that focuses on the preservation and augmentation of your own power. No better example of that than the whole Lewinsky thing. Everybody talks about, well, you know, Bill cheated on Hillary. Technically, yeah, but is there anybody that really thought that what they had was, that what they didn't have was an open marriage that entire time? This was a marriage of convenience. Do they love each other? Yeah, probably. In a very non-sexual, non-romantic type of way. In a, if there's a way to be in love with someone intellectually, that's the way they are. There's no spark there. There's no emotional attachment. There's probably a lot of codependency, though, especially in an in, on, an in, on, an, on an, in an intellectual basis. There's a codependency there between those two. But if you remember, in the late '90s, for those of us, for those of you who are old enough to pay attention, Hillary Clinton was leading the charge against Monica Lewinsky. Hillary Clinton was in charge of all the the what they used to call the bimbo eruptions, the Jennifer Flowers stuff, the Kathleen Willey stuff the Monica Lewinsky stuff. Hillary Clinton led the charge on that. Hillary Clinton was the one that went on the Today Show and, and chalked this whole thing up to a vast right-wing conspiracy, even though her husband had, in fact, had an affair with an intern inside the White House, which he's now starting to, you know... Now, granted, he paid a price for it back then in a tangential sense because, you know, they did... You know, you did have a bunch of overzealous Republicans try to impeach him over lying in a deposition about having an affair. Not really a high crime and misdemeanor. And then engaging in obstructing of justice to hide his affair with a White House intern. Not really a high crime and misdemeanor. He kind of paid the price for that. He was actually impeached. Um, only the second president to actually been, have been impeached. And he was acquitted by the Senate. He's only now starting to pay the price for his, his, his judgment in regards to what he did with Monica Lewinsky, particularly the power dynamics. So you've got Bill Clinton, and you've got his wife leading the charge against Monica Lewinsky and against all that stuff. And then she, you know, springboards it into a Senate race in 2000 in a state that she had never lived in before. She totally carpetbagged New York, and everybody in New York was totally okay with it, and she became a senator. And she did that because she wanted to be president someday. She wanted to be the first female president. And if not for a horribly run campaign, which was quite revealing about her, actually two horribly run campaigns, because I forget about 2008, because she was the anointed one then as well, she very well could have been president. But she couldn't get out of her own way, because she clings to a an old, archaic, paranoid style of politics that just does not, it doesn't work anymore. Or if it does work, it, you know, you can't be as incompetent about it as she's been over the last two decades. That's where I come from politically. And I'm not going to 
I'm probably not going to inject a lot of politics into, into the show. So if I do, there'll be offhanded remarks or jokes or snark or something like that. But the topics themselves are not going to be really political. Um, if they are, it'll be about on a broader topic, um, po broader political topic in some form or fashion. But I'm probably going to steer clear of that because it's hard to be objective about that type of thing. Or, you know, you can be objective about it, the type of thing. But then it gets kind of boring and wishy-washy and mealy-mouthed and all that kind of stuff. And it's just, you know, nobody wants to listen to that. If you want to listen to that, there are tens of millions of podcasts out there that do that for every, you know, political persuasion you could possibly have. If you're a gay, racist Republican with libertarian leanings who thinks that Martin Luther King was killed by a government conspiracy, there's probably a podcast out there for you. But I'm not going to really have this podcast be that way. So, I think I'm starting to run long here. I started this recording about an hour ago. And I want to try to keep these podcasts to, depending on the topic, you know, half an hour to 45 minutes to an hour, if I'm lucky. And we'll try to do this every couple weeks, as, as my schedule allows, because I still am, you know, I'm married, I have a day job, I have two kids who are, who are developing ever-increasing busy lives. Those type of things take time. They take time away from luxuries, as anybody who, you know, has two, who has two legs and isn't uh, financially independent, or, you know, financially independent to the point where they don't have to work, understands. Uh, or even if they don't have to work. Uh, I just got myself in trouble with a lot of stay-at-home parents. Regardless of whatever you do, if you're busy, whatever you're doing, you're busy, you understand it, you know, life life uh, requires time and effort, both of which are not infinite. So this is the inaugural episode. This is the pilot for I Have Questions. To reach me, there we're on several platforms. Actually, no, we're only on two. We're on Twitter. My Twitter handle is truly awful, so I'm not going to... I'm not going to get it, but just look for in your search bar, if you're on Twitter, search bar, I have questions podcast and or my name. It's the only Twitter handle I have. I only got on Twitter for this show. Now, Facebook, on the other hand, I've been on Facebook for almost 10 years. I'm kind of addicted. My kids complain about my Facebook habit. On Twitter, look for I have, po I have questions podcast and or my name and or, or associated with my name, and you'll probably find it. Anybody, if anybody knows how I can change my Twitter handle, uh, because it is truly awful, let me know. I'm, oh, I'm really, look, I would really love to be able to change it if I can, without having to create a whole new Twitter account. On Facebook, we are at uh, it's facebook.com forward slash I have questions podcast, or you can just look up I have questions podcast in your search bar on Facebook. The email address is I have questions podcast at gmail.com. On any of those platforms or all three of those platforms, depending on you know your attention to detail, I'm open to comments, questions, criticisms, concerns. You know, any there's no such thing as bad feedback from my point of view, especially on the, the at the, in the nascent stages of this podcast. So, Facebook, Twitter, email. You know, we may branch out into other avenues. We, I said it again. We. Yes, I have a mouse in my pocket. There's two of us. I may branch out into other means or avenues of communication as I become aware of or comfortable with those uses of communication. Uh, but Facebook, Twitter, and email is probably the best ways to get a hold of this show. If you want to give a suggestion for a, a topic, a question, uh, 
It doesn't have to be an in-depth question. It doesn't have to be one that'll take up the whole show or multiple shows or anything like that. Uh, you know, it doesn't have to be a question that's, that needs to be turned into a Ken Burns documentary, okay? It doesn't have to be that way. But I'm, I'm totally open to any kind of feedback or show suggestions or anything like that. So please do not hesitate to contact me through those platforms. I can't guarantee that I will respond, especially if you're making any kind of insinuating threats or innuendos or um, the type of things that could make me an accessory before or after the fact and possibly lead to jail time, a divorce, or deportation for myself. Otherwise, you might get a, you'll probably get a response, especially if it's on Twitter because I gotta get, I'm just going to have to get comfortable with using that platform. Um, but... This has been the inaugural episode of I Have Questions. Thank you for your time and your patronage. Even if you decide that, screw this shit, I'm not listening to this lack alone anymore. I still got an hour of your time already, so I've already won. Anyway, thank you very much. Have a wonderful time doing whatever it is you do day in, day out, minute to minute. And thank you. <laughs>